Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Holt. I'm a functional medicine nutritionist with a feisty attitude and over a decade of clinical experience. I work with women all over the world through my online programs, and I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Academy, a 12-month practitioner mentorship where I help other nutrition pros level up with functional medicine methodologies. I've got a bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what the show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I'd love for you to subscribe, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. All right, guys, welcome back to the show. This is Erin. I'm here with Kyle. Hey. Hey. Uh, We're going to do our best to not sound like disasters of humans today, which we completely are. But Mm -hmm. uh, before we get into the show, I just want to make a couple of workshop announcements. I've got two coming up Saturday, November 4th. I'll be teaching a workshop on gut health at Oceanside Physical Therapy in Stratum, New Hampshire. I'm co-teaching that one with Kristen, who owns Oceanside. And she's a physical therapist who will be talking about chronic pain, pelvic pain, and how that relates to the gut. I'll also be doing one the following Saturday, November 11th at Bar in Seoul in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And that is two and a half hours of gut health. And we'll get into a little bit about why that kind of stuff is so important in today's episode. Before we do that, Kyle, what's going on with you? Um, I wish I could go to either one of those. Um, so many reasons I wish you lived closer. I know, this long-distance relationship. Um, so I think it's safe to say that you and I have both been under um, some extra stress lately. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I personally um, have been relying heavily on the community of friends and family around me, venting, crying, um, just getting it all out, what feels like all of the time. Uh, I feel like you're holding your stuff together so well. So it's funny that you feel like that's the case. (laughs) Yeah. The outside perspective is always a a different one. Um, And lately, I haven't really been able to work out in the morning like I usually do. And my usual diet has taken a bit of a backseat while I get through it all. So for me, and I know this is true for you too, Erin, and honestly, a lot of people who identify with a type A personality, but when I feel overly stressed, I usually end up trying to find something, anything that isn't tied down that I can focus on to then regain some sense of control over my life. A decade ago, this would have looked like restrictive eating, counting calories, over-exercising, And even though I don't go to those places anymore, I think those are easy go-tos for a lot of people when they're feeling out of control in other areas of their life. And it's definitely something I always have to keep in check because it is something that has gotten out of hand, you know, in the past. For sure. It's like old habits die hard. Actually, in therapy this this week, um, I brought that up. I'm like, you know, I... It's like eating is, or food is so, um, it's just like such a coping mechanism. And it has, it had been for like, what, like 15 years of my life. And she, and I'm like, sometimes I feel like I go back to that place, not from like a, 
a, a restriction or a binge or like a purge anymore, like how it used to be, but, but more so like, okay, well, what's the healthy, like, what's the healthiest diet I could eat or like what, what foods are healthy or like using my education and kind of like leaning on that. Um, it's almost like a different, you know, another iteration of the same, same old eating stuff, but something that she pointed out to me and the reason I'm bringing it up here is to point it out to you too, or anybody that might be listening. It's like, that's one coping mechanism. Of course, it's always going to be there because it served you well for so long. But then she rattled off like a bunch of other things I had mentioned that I was doing to support myself. And she's like, that's Hmm. just one that used to be your only go to. She's like, it's just one now. It's not a big deal. And just like hearing that took off so much, I don't know, like stress and guilt off of me because I'm like, I shouldn't be doing this anymore. That's a really good Um, point. But yeah, isn't it? I thought yeah. I liked that. So, anyway, But it's never proceed. just as simple as focusing on something else either. And a lot of other time, a lot of the times like that attempt at trying to control anything um, just ends up creating more stress for myself and then for everyone else around me. Um, so I yeah. was feeling pretty down about my diet and my exercise lately and or total lack thereof and was venting to a good friend of mine who said that maybe what I was doing lately was what taking care of myself looks like right now. So rather this ideal, I'm taking care of myself, I'm eating super clean, I'm exercising daily to get out the stress. You know, maybe me binge watching Netflix and eating some comfort foods and having a little bit more wine than usual is me practicing self-care right now. Maybe it's nourishing me in more ways than just food or sweat. And maybe my normal exercise routine would just cause me to feel even more exhausted and run down since I'm also not sleeping well. So my point in saying all of this is that we constantly hear messages about self-care and what taking care of yourself looks like or could look like. And we definitely talk about that here. But the reality is that sometimes it's more important to give yourself permission to just do whatever the heck you feel like doing. And regardless of how that's breaking your normal routine, because you're honoring how you're feeling and you're listening to your body and mind. And, you know, a routine is a routine. You know, the second a routine becomes something that creates stress for you when you're not following it, then you probably need to lighten up a bit on that routine anyways. Um, Will my diet and my exercise habits settle back into their normal routine once I settle back into my normal routine? Yeah, I mean, I I totally expect that they will. So why would I create more stress for myself right now for feeling like I'm not meeting these standards that no one has set for me other than myself? So that's what's really amazing about the... um, community and support system that you build around you and that's why it's so important to have that because you know when you talk to those people they're able to provide a perspective that sometimes you just aren't able to see yourself because you're in the thick of it totally it's like I can say something and then somebody can say exactly what I said back to me and hearing it from somebody else completely oh my god that's crazy yeah it totally changes it um And I can relate to everything you said so much. When I get to a place like that, I just have to remind myself that this is just a phase. It's just a phase and it's going to pass and we're all just doing the best we can and to try to give us some like sprinkling some grace for ourselves, which we're not always so, so good at. Um, The stress that I'm under right now is different. It has 
to do with my health, of course. Um, and it definitely highlights my control issues. Like you're saying, Kyle, when I don't feel like I have control over my body, I get really anxious. And I think that just kind of kicks up everything else that's going on. Um, when we got back from vacation, that was about a month ago now, I basically launched into two incredibly busy weeks. I was determined to not work at all while we were in the Azores. And I really did that like 10 days, totally unplugged. Um, but of course there was going to be some degree of catching up once we got back and I knew that. So it's kind of like bouncing from one thing to the next, to the next. And I remember saying to a few different people on a few different occasions, like right now I'm overscheduled and overbooked. And I know on a personal level, that's not the way I want to live my life. I also know that's how I get sick but I kind of felt a little bit swept up in the momentum of it all. So um, I didn't really know how to like stop it. Uh, Hattie brought home the sniffles from preschool. And then I had this like little tickle in the back of my throat for about two weeks. And I kept thinking like, wow, my body is doing an awesome job fighting this off. I was like really proud that I can handle all this stuff and I can fight off this cold. And I'm like superwoman. And I did kept keep throwing like supportive herbs and elixirs at it. But I really wasn't taking my own advice, and this is the stuff we'll get into today. Um, and FYI, guys, it's the lifestyle suggestions I'm going to make today that are the most paramount. You cannot out echinacea a physically stressful lifestyle. You just can't. It doesn't work that way. Um, so I personally, I wasn't resting. My sleep wasn't great. I was waking up super early in the morning to like dive into projects. I felt like a ping pong ball. I was bouncing from one thing to the next, and I never really turned myself off. Then on top of that, I wasn't eating enough um, because I was on the go so much. I was packing a smoothie for breakfast and a smoothie for lunch. And that was all I was eating throughout the day. I was bolstering my energy with coffee. And I have learned over the past couple of years that in order to support my health, um, I really do need quite a bit of food. Like my body needs those nutrients. Maybe it's um, the autoimmune thing. I'm not sure, but I need I need food, like in a significant amount of it to feel good. So anyway, I topped off these two weeks with a family wedding, which was super fun. It was a late night. There was tequila. There was definitely a lot of wine, <laughs> a lot of dancing, no sleep. <laughs> it was free yeah, wine. It was break. like, um, give me a break. But then two days later, I got a bad cold, which is really no surprise there because I basically like tore down my body's defense systems. But this is where I got really stupid. I was like, ah, it's just a cold. And then I plowed through with the same frantic pace. And then I ended up with bronchitis. And then that blossomed into oh walking pneumonia. So by this, yeah, by this point, I was just super sick, like crawling on the floor. <laughs> like I think I'm just, like playing with Hattie, like on the floor. She's like, mom, Scott's like, it's probably anxiety. You're probably just stressed. I'm like, I think it's more than that this time. <laughs> so I went to the doctors for the second time and she was like, I really think antibiotics is the best bet. Once she was like, this is walking pneumonia. Not something I was very thrilled with. I deal with recurring SIBO, which is um, short for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. It's basically an overgrowth of pathogenic bacteria in my small intestine, which sounds very scary. It's it's pretty, pretty common, at, at least in the people that I work with. Um, on top of that, I have an autoimmune disease. And as we all know, autoimmune processes are hugely impacted by what's going on in the gut. So... Um, 
Zithromax, which is the Z pack. I feel like that's a pretty common one these days. It's a five days of Zithromax. And it doesn't sound so bad. Five days, right? No, no big deal. But Zithromax has a pretty long half-life, which means it stays in your system longer than many other antibiotics. And it definitely lasts longer than the five days you're actually taking the pill. So I stopped stopped the antibiotics over a week ago and it's still in my system. Now, one of the scary things about antibiotics is that one round, so just one round of antibiotics can reduce the diversity of intestinal microbiota for at least a month and up to a year or even longer. One study showed that um, there was a 90% loss of normal microbes in your large intestine with wow, one dose of that's antibiotics. That's crazy. Yeah, it's really, that is so significant. It might not... <clears throat> You know, if you're not really super familiar with what's going on in the gut and why that's so important to systemic health, um, it that it, that's like a huge, huge deal. And this is really the one of the biggest problems with widespread antibiotic use. It's not just antibiotic resistance, which is a huge problem in and of itself, but it's the fact that it can assess, essentially wipe out all of the good bacteria in your gut in like one fell swoop. So going on antibiotics for anybody should really be a very big decision and the pros and cons should always be evaluated. Like I said, by the time I got to the doctor, I was so sick and I was really struggling to breathe. So I did opt for the doctor's recommendation. Of uh, you the know, Z-pack. I'll jump in here and say it's, it's always worth like at least kind of expressing your resistance. Sometimes I've had two instances in the past six months where a doctor has such suge- or a dentist has suggested antibiotics. And I've been like, yeah, I really, really don't want to take them. Um, do you feel like it's absolutely necessary? And they said no both times. So I, I mean, like if I didn't ask, then I think, you know, it's just, it's just so easily, you know, prescribed. But if you ask, um, in my experience, a lot of the times I've, I've actually had them be like, yeah, no, okay, you're, you're fine not going on something. Yeah. I mean, always be an advocate for your own health and always strike up a conversation about your health. I mean, you, as a human being living on planet earth, you have the, you have the, the power to do that, right? You have the authority over your body. And I think sometimes we forget that. And then on the flip side of the coin, um, it's not, I don't think that it's like doctors just willy nilly over prescribing antibiotics anymore. I think it's so ingrained in us, um, that like, okay, something's wrong. We have to kill, kill, kill. Because that's how we we all grew up. Like it's like, oh, you you ha- there's something wrong with you. You go on yeah, antibiotics. Burn the like, field. You know, my, my my mother burn it all. My mother in law is um, in her seventies, and anytime something's wrong, she's like, well, did you get on antibiotics? Because I mean, she's just a product of her environment. That's what that's what you think you're supposed to do. So I think we all go into the doctors, and I think they get so many requests because it's not like, okay, you have a cold. The The typical duration of a cold is like two weeks. People come to them on like week two, like, I got to get back to work, man. I got to get back to my life. I don't have time for this. Give me the antibiotics. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes doctors are backed into a corner. Um, and that's in the, in like, kind of like, they just like prescribe them because they're like, oh, this is what people want. Um, so anyway, um, so I, like I said, I stopped last, today is Sunday when we're recording. I stopped last Saturday, so over a week ago, and I am still very much so dealing with the aftermath. My digestion is a mess for starters, but I'm also in the midst of an autoimmune flare. 
So I've got body ache, fatigue, swelling, like random swelling, food sensitivities popping off, brain fog, difficulty concentrating, anxiety, heart palpitations, wicked bad headaches. Um, so that's a bummer. Um, now, was it the infection itself or the antibiotics that, that triggered this autoimmune reaction? I have absolutely no idea. Um, and I think, honestly, for me, that's the hardest part of having an autoimmune disease, the not knowing. For someone who I'm a questioner, I need to understand, I need to know the whys, I need to have all the answers so I can be able to control and fix things. So the not knowing piece is very hard and it, it creates a lot of anxiety. So what I'm doing is basically what I know to do based on my education, right? I've established a protocol for myself to support my immune system, rebuild and recolonize my gut post-antibiotic exposure. I'm also finding support. Um, I actually have a scheduled appointment with someone who I consider to be an expert in the field of autoimmunity, SIBO, and the microbiome. So I'm reaching out outside of myself for help and asking for help. And I'm also giving myself grace and compassion throughout this whole process. Um, for me, that involves understanding that I am whole and perfect right now as I am in the midst of feeling pretty gross and yucky. Um, I don't need to fix myself, right? There's nothing to be fixed. This is just my experience. So I've honestly had to pull in um, a bit of a spiritual piece here, which I think is maybe the next level of my healing journey. I've been really opening my eyes up to some different resources, which I think is pretty cool and exciting. So I guess it's kind of funny what a little cold can end up teaching you. I'm really a huge believer in signs and things happening at the exact right time when we need to hear them, when we need to open up our eyes to what we're ready to see. So that's enough of that. I love it. Stuff. Um, <laughs> let's, let's have okay. our listener question. What do you do for cold and flu prevention? What about if you're coming down with something? What are your thoughts on the flu shot? Okay, so let's start with the flu shot question. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is one that um, I've been asked often enough this year to address. That I've been asked it often enough that I want to address it here. It's a question that makes me pretty pretty uncomfortable. As you can tell, I'm like stuttering <laughs> over my words right now. <laughs> I can't even speak. I just don't feel that it's my place to give advice in this arena, so I don't. I don't give advice. Um, you know, Kyle... You and I are both two humans trying to navigate this whole healthcare system, especially you as someone who works in a hospital. So today we'll just briefly talk about our experiences with the flu shot, our personal decisions, and how we arrived at them. This conversation, I have to say this, is in no way intended as medical advice. Whether or not to get the flu shot is a very personal decision. And my take on it is this, this, how can we best support our body's natural ability to fight off infection or to handle something like the, the flu without any major complications? So today, that's really what we're going to focus on for the bulk of this show, how to support the immune system and also feeling empowered enough to take control of your own health and to make yeah. our own decisions. Um, but Kyle, so tell me, tell me your ideas. I on mean, flu working shots. in healthcare, the flu shot is definitely an expectation. So when I first became a clinical dietitian, I was able to sign waivers to decline the flu at the first couple places I worked at. But over the last um, few years, it's become mandatory. So the options are to get the shot 
or wear a mask that covers your nose and mouth anywhere from December until it could be June. Um, yeah, and Whoa. there are there are two options for the flu shots. You can get the trivalent or the quadrivalent. So it's either three or four strains of the virus. Um, employees who get the flu shot in the hospital end up getting the quadrivalent shot. Um, and there, the reason there are multiple strains is because it's an educated guess every year that you know scientists have to make to and decide which strain they think is going to cause the most flus that year. And those are the ones that they include in the shot. So as you can imagine, it's probably pretty difficult to predict um, the future and like what strain will be, you know, cause the most flus each year. Um, I personally have continued to get the flu shot because I just hate the idea of wearing a mask all day at work. Anytime I'm trying to talk to a patient and they can't even see my mouth. Um, and yeah, every year I wait until the very last minute to get the shot. And every single year I consider decline, declining it and just wearing the mask. But ultimately I break down. I can <laughs> Uh, well, I can see how that'd be so like off. I mean, off-putting for uh, one of oh, your patients yeah. to come you, in and like have their provider completely. be wearing a mask. It's, yeah, like, kind completely. of completely. I mean, like if you're really sick on like an ICU, I, I mean, if I was a patient, you know, even if I, yeah, the first reaction would be like, well, what, what the heck do you have? Like, what are, what am, what are you protect, protecting me from that you need to wear a mask? Yeah. You know, so yeah, it's just, yeah, it's, those are the options in healthcare now. So do you ever get the flu shot? So I don't, I don't know if I've ever got the flu shot. I mean, maybe I have, but definitely not in my adult life. Um, I remember when I was pregnant, this is the one thing that always sticks out to me. I declined the flu shot and was made to feel like, I mean, the I remember of God that. I remember me. you um, telling me how, it, how much they were like really dug into you. I had a sign a waiver um, and the, and it was a midwife too. Like my, I, I really liked my doctors at the time. Um, and she was like, okay, but I need you to understand that this can be fatal and I need you to sign this waiver. And I'm like, okay. And I was like, this is a fear tactic and I don't appreciate it at all. I understand you need to do this, but I was like, I don't know. I had a really bad taste in my mouth about it. So I declined during pregnancy and which is like shock, like shocked the world, I guess. Um, but I don't, I don't get it. And here's my biggest thing with it. One, Kyle, you touched upon this. It's not always accurate, right? We don't always like nail down the exact flu, um, or the, the exact strain, but the bigger concern for me as someone with an autoimmune disease, it's something called Asia syndrome. It stands for autoimmune inflammatory syndrome induced by adjuvants. So this, um, this is the idea that adverse effects, including autoimmune conditions, um, can be triggered or enhanced. And this may occur following vaccinations due to the immunogen contents, as well as by the adjuvants, which are used to increase the immune reaction to the immunogen. So there are clinical cases in, um, in series of autoimmune conditions, including systemic sclerosis. This is the one that I have. Systemic lup lupus and rheumatoid arthritis. They've been reported to be induced by several adjuvants found in vaccines. So 
this isn't to scare anybody off from from getting a vaccine or from getting the flu shot, um, but I feel like this is this is a driver of my decision. Um, there are certain people that are going to be at more risk from the, for this, for getting these adverse reactions, from getting these autoimmune triggers. Um, that would be people that have prior post-vaccination autoimmune issue, um, people with a history of autoimmunity or allergic reactions, those with a family history of autoimmune disease, and those with the presence of autoantibodies. So basically, anyone that has an autoimmune disease or is more at risk for developing an autoimmune condition. So again, this is not medical advice at all. We're not doctors, we're not pretending to be. This is just us relaying information to you guys so then you can do your own research and make your own decision that you feel, yeah. feel comfortable my, with. My last point to add quite literally is that I haven't had the flu in 20 years. I had never gotten a flu shot until I was forced to, you know, working in the hospital. And I can't remember the last time I've come down with a memorable cold. So uh, because of those those facts, um, the rest of this episode is basically just going to be Erin's jam because she has way more experience playing around with prevention and dealing with increased exposure to germs, having a kid. So I'm, I'm kind of going to peace out now. So take it away, Erin. <laughs> <laughs> that's kyle's nice way of saying erin gets sick all the time <laughs> i don't i've like since i was little i've always got 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 some major malfunction over the past couple of years it's gotten better since i've implemented a lot of these things but you know having a kiddo definitely definitely uh makes it less easy so we're gonna start off with prevention and the first thing i'm going to talk about here is food which isn't any surprise because that's, you know, Kyle and I talk about this all the time. Um, the th stuff you want to avoid is, oh, 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 the white stuff, <laughs> the white stuff. <laughs> I'm so glad you knew where I was going with that. Um, anything white, right? Sugar, processed foods, refined carbohydrates, conventional dairy. Um, for starters, these foods are going to be of limited benefit to your gut microbiota. So this is what I was talking about earlier, the bacteria living in your intestines. It, your, your gut accounts for up to 80% of your body's immune system. Um, furthermore, these foods, the, the highly refined sugar, processed foods stuff, can provoke an immune response within the gut leading to systemic inflammation. Because if there's inflammation in the gut, if there's dysbiosis in the gut, then there can be inflammation anywhere else in the body, the brain, the joints, wherever. So this is obviously not a great thing when you're trying to keep your immune system strong. Now I'm going to also lump alcohol into this category, unfortunately, because alcohol does impair the function of the immune system and it's also a gut irritant. So I personally think the occasional glass of wine is fine, but probably not knocking back a bottle of wine every single night. It's not going to be the best thing for immune system. Um, just like I talked about going to the wedding. Um, I got sick like two days later, you know, like if you've ever been on a bender before, you know that you're, um, you know, you kind of like beat your body up a little bit. So keep that in mind. If you're going to pull out that, those foods, then you got to replace them with something else. So focus 
on well-sourced proteins, healthy fats, lots of nutrient-rich veggies and fruits. Again, this is stuff that we've already talked about in the first several episodes of the show. Um, This is to really ensure you're getting ample vitamin C, vitamin A, vitamin D, selenium, zinc, all these nutrients essential for immune health. And so I think this is probably the point where people are going to ask, okay, well, how many fruits and vegetables do I need? Because we're we're prescriptive, right? We like rules. Um, So for me, a good goal that I like to follow is about three quarters of every meal should be plant matter. That's fruits and veggies. I would say that the majority of the clients that I work with tell me that they eat enough fruits and veggies. They're like, oh yeah, yeah, I eat enough of that. But if I sit down and look at like a two or three day food log, I see that's not really the case. Um, So how much should we be eating? I'm going to refer to uh, Dr. Terry Walls. She is a doctor that reversed her MS using a nutrition and lifestyle protocol. Now this is specifically for somebody who's trying to combat chronic disease. Um, These are her recommendations and it's just to kind of, I'm I'm bringing these up to kind of showcase like you're probably not eating a lot of fruits and veggies in the grand scheme of things. Um, So her recommendations are nine cups of veggies a day. This is the backbone of her diet. So this provides the body with the deep nutrition that it needs to heal itself, really how to support the immune system. So these nine cups would include three cups of greens like spinach, kale, collards, Swiss chard, romaine lettuce, three cups of sulfur-rich veggies, mushrooms, onions, garlic, leeks, cabbage, all the cruciferous veggies are high in sulfur, and then three cups of pigment-rich fruits or uh, fruits and veggies like beets, carrots, peppers, berries, anything that when you cut it open, the inside is the same color as the outside. Um, She also really highlights variety. So you want to eat as many species as possible. This includes both plants and animals. And one way that I like to do this is to incorporate different herbs, spices, teas, all of that counts um, as getting more species into your diet, more variety. You talked about this recently in an Instagram story, eating as many different species as possible, which can help create a more diverse microbiome. And there are a lot of different ways that people can add more diversity without it being a huge pain in the butt. Um, Joining a CSA is a great example of this because you're getting a variety of different items each week that are local, in season, and not always something that you would normally buy otherwise. So it creates more diversity right there by challenging you to use something instead of waste it since you already paid for it. Um, Same for just going to the farmer's markets in general. You can check out ethnic markets in town, um, trying different foods and spices. Same goes for any ethnic stand at the farmer's markets. I've gotten to try some really cool um, things that I had never seen before just by, you know, going to those stands. Um, And then the easiest way to make sure you're getting a lot of diversity is to try to make your plate as colorful as possible. Switch up animal proteins, try to use a ton of different spices and herbs, just like you said. You know, what would be a fun like uh, like Instagram story series is like finding something at the farmer's market and then showing how to use it on your Instagram stories. How to use it. Yeah. Are your farmer's markets? Yeah, they go. um, right until thanksgiving and then and then there's winter markets after that but i i i don't think i went to the winter market last year i'm i'm just yeah i i think i just like to then actually sleep in a little bit on a saturday (laughs) 
<laughs> um, a smoothie is also a, an easy way to pack in some fruits and veggies because you can easily get three to four cups of veggies into one smoothie. So if you're having a hard time getting in more produce to your diet um, and variety, make sure you listen to episode number five. We talk a ton about smoothies and how we jam pack them full of veggies. Um, One more thing that Terry Walls recommends is organ meats like liver. Now, you know, this sounds kind of gross to a lot of people I know, but, you know, traditionally when we ate animals, we ate them top to tail. This includes organ meats, which have so much nutrition. It's unbelievable. I do try to eat liver um, during the 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 fall and the winter, and especially if I'm feeling run down, I don't love it. Like, I, I can't lie. There's a bacon liver pate recipe that I'll link to in the show notes that is the most palatable way I've eaten it. Um, I also do the the raw liver shot that I got from Liz Wolf. I'll link to that as well. And then there are, you can buy encapsulated liver, which, you know, it's like basically just taking a pill. So that might be another option for some people. Um, so keep that in mind. It's basically like nature's multivitamin. And then also consume probiotic-rich food daily. Probiotics modulate the immune system. They reinforce the protective immune barrier in your gut. Um, a recent study that I, I just came across, um, there's a study done on mice that suggests that microbial, microbial metabolites could actually have a protective role against infection with the flu. So that's that's pretty cool. Um, make sure you're including fermented veggies, kombucha, and kefir 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 on the regular uh two brands that i like that are pretty local to me here in new hampshire are micro mamas and brokeford farm and then a first food approach is best really for like most things but you might also consider supplementing with a really good quality probiotic pill um so those are some ways to work in the probiotics kyle do you have any um local brands that you like of fermented foods I down in Nashville. I love Micro Mamas. I wish we had them down here, but their blends so are like good. out of this world. Um Fermenti is a local uh Asheville company. They're in stores and farmers markets. Serotonin F- Ferments is another local brand, but I've only seen them at farmers markets. Um Aaron and I both love Farmhouse Culture, which is a brand that's in a lot of grocery stores. Their garlic and dill, caraway, and leek and horseradish are my favorites. And then another popular brand is Wild Brine. Um, serotonin ferments. I want to go Google them to see if that name is like a play on the fact that yeah. 90% yeah. of our serotonin is producing. I know. That's cool. I like that. Hashtag gut health, hashtag <laughs> brain health, hashtag mental health. So many hashtags. Okay. Um, all right. <laughs> other options. Cook with fresh ginger, garlic, onions, and turmeric. All are anti-inflammatory, antiviral, and immune supportive. I actually add all three of these or excuse me, all four of these things to uh, my homemade chicken soup, which is on weekly rotation during the fall and winter months. So I always will make a big batch of of chicken soup with my own bone broth and then throw in the garlic, the ginger, onions, and turmeric. Next up, so the first category was food. Next up, we've got sleep and stress. You are way more apt to get sick if you're burnt out and under-rested. I am telling you as an expert. <laughs> I, I do this to myself all the time, or I used to, I used to. Um, so you want to aim for eight hours every night, 
children need more than that. There are no excuses here. Really, the only exception to this rule is if you're a new mom. There's nothing you can do about your sleep right now. I will say a prayer for you, and I promise you, you will eventually sleep. But if you want to support your body's immune system, you have to give it downtime. Our bodies are super resilient. It's one of the most incredible things about us. We can regenerate and we can heal, but we can also lose our ability to bounce back if we never stop going, if we never give give ourselves time to slow down, rest, repair, and heal. So this might mean you say no to some of the things that come your way. This might mean your kids' schedules aren't as jam-packed as they could be. This might mean you ignore the pile of laundry in favor of going to bed earlier. You know, there's so many different ways you can slice and dice this. And this is always the part where people say, well, that's impossible, or I can't do that, or my schedule doesn't allow for it, um, X, Y, Z. And Truly, I get that. I do. I do understand the demands put on us by society because I'm a I'm a human being functioning in this society. Um, but at the end of the day, if you're overscheduled and you're squeaking by on five to six hours of sleep a night, don't be surprised when you wind up with every cold that comes your way. I think the biggest issue for people who say I don't have time to implement these suggestions. I think these I think we all just need a reframe. It's not how do we arrange our diet and our sleep to fit into our lifestyle? It's how do we change our relationship with ourselves so that we can value our health now? Not when something terrible happens, not when we get sick, but right now. And how do we change our relationship to our life so that we can create a lifestyle that supports yeah, our health? I'll add in here that our bodies and minds are are tricky around sleep and stress because it can wait until you've made it past a stressful period, whether it's short or long, before it totally knocks you on your ass. So you can trick yourself into thinking that you're fine running on you know, less sleep or being more stressed out because nothing's happened yet and you're still making it through each day. But oftentimes it's when you actually start to slow down that the body feels like it's finally time to crash and it does just that, fight or flight mode. Um, That happened to me with the wedding. I feel like this happens to a lot of people (laughs) with weddings, but like I made it through the wedding fine and then um like a month after that like my hair started falling out and I started getting like all these crazy like you know reactions again so I just had to I just get past that period but it's amazing when you're in it you know your body can can work to your advantage and and get you through that and then just absolutely fall apart afterwards so true. I, that's probably was a similar situation to like having the baby for me because I was like, you know, the first three months I was like, this is like life or death. I yep. got to keep this kid alive. I got to keep keep my stuff together. And then I just like broke, like broke, broke, broke. Um, And I was talking to a good friend of mine who had, had uh, struggles with adrenal fatigue and she was saying that like the more sleep she gets, like almost like the more sleep she mm. needs, which is kind of like what I was starting to feel like during that time, which I definitely had significant uh, adrenal dysfunction. And she's told her, her doctor, and there's, I don't know if there's any science behind this, but it was just kind of an interesting thing. It's like, once your body crashes, it just like, it's almost like it, it, you're, you've given yourself permission to just like, kind of like recoup mm-hmm. everything. Um, like, I know I'm not saying it very well, but basically like, that's like a normal, almost like a normal reaction. Um, so anyway, 
I just rambled. I'm going to, I'm just going to move on. <laughs> just, but what I remember, actually, I'm going to say one more thing. Um, after, after having the baby and like com- complaining about lack of sleep and a few people were like, don't worry, you just learn to live on less sleep. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that is not going to be the case <laughs> for me. Um, and then it's like, but I, to your point, Kyle, it's like we get so caught up in like, oh, I can, I can run on less sleep to get all of these things done, right? Like I can do this. And then you might crash like a month later or a year later or two years later. And you're like, well, what's this, where's this coming from? What happened? And it's like, well, you know, you've been sleeping for five hours a night and running yourself into the ground. Um, Some other practices that you can implement in order uh, to prevent the cold and flu, wash your hands, you know, good old fashioned hand washing. 20 seconds a pop. Um, I've heard the advice to sing happy birthday. The happy birthday song is about 20 seconds, which is a kind of a fun thing to do with the kiddos. Avoid antibacterial hand soap and hand sanitizers. Again, we don't want to kill off the bacteria on our person. That's not a good idea. Um, you also want to avoid scented soaps because they can contain endocrine disruptors called phthalates. What I usually use is Dr. Bronner's. I'll make, I have um, like a foaming hand pump, soap pump. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Yes, <laughs> like, I do. To make your own soap. Um, okay. <laughs> do you know, what is it? I, like a, I literally would have it, described a, it the same exact way. <laughs> I cannot help you. Okay. It's a, it's, it's a, a container that you put soap in and then it, it you pump it and it foams out. <laughs> There's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way to talk about this. Anyway, I make my own soap. I use Dr. Bronner's. I mix it with water and some essential oils in a foaming hand pump <laughs> thing. And that's how we wash our hands. <laughs> Moving on. This is a rough episode. Um, be sure you're avoiding bleach. Um, there's actually evidence supporting the fact that children exposed to bleach have more, not fewer infections. Actually, they're at risk, uh, 20% higher risk for the flu. So again, we think we're doing us ourselves favors by killing off all the bacteria. We are not. Another idea is to use a neti pot. Um this is an Ayurvedic thing, which is definitely not my area of expertise. So I did reach out to a good friend, Sharon Gordon. She's an Ayurvedic yoga specialist because I wanted her thoughts on a neti pot because I've heard it, heard about it so much. And I have one and I've used them in the past. But um, her take is that it is a great thing to do every morning, especially when there's excess mucus built up. The saline in the water helps to dry out the mucus and clean the nasal passages from any allergens or dust. And you really shouldn't try to neti when the nose is completely blocked up. So it's more of a preventative thing versus like, or when you're first coming down with something versus like when you have like a, like a, you know, serious sinus thing, you want to do it when the mucous membranes are dry or the nose is just a little runny. A great time to do it is when you start to feel like something's coming on or to prevent the disease process from moving further. You want to use a special neti pot salt, use about an eighth of a teaspoonful for each neti pot of water. Be sure you're using filtered water and it should be warm around body temperature. So a neti pot is just a little pot that you fill with a little bit of salt and a little bit of water and then you put it in your nose and clear your nasal passages that way in case anyone's not familiar. Um, After you use the neti pot, you should also use a special type of oil. Sharon recommends Banyan Botanicals as a brand, which I've actually used before when I used to work at the health food store back in the day. 
And a simple way to apply the oil, you put a little bit, about a teaspoon in a clean palm, then you use the pinky finger of the opposite hand and you swirl it around the oil. Then you stick your pinky right up your nose and rub the oil around the inside of the nostrils. Take a few big sniffs and repeat on the other side. This can be done instead of the neti pot. So you can either use it after the neti pot or use it instead of the neti pot, especially if you're short on time. The neti pot cleanses and then the oil nourishes it afterward. Using a neti pot every day can be a little bit drying. So this would be a good option, especially if you if you tend toward dryness. And the oil can also be used whenever you're going out into the cold or a windy day. It's a great thing to do if you're getting on an airplane or you're going to be in a confined space or around sick people. It will help to provide that barrier of protection. So actually, after hearing that, I'm going to get some nasal oil and start using that because I am not very good about consistently using the neti pot. I'll admit that. But I think that the oil is definitely something that I could practice. Um, So if you want to hear more about Ayurvedic practices, check out Sharon at her website, SharonGordonYoga.com. I'll link to it in the in the show notes. And then kind of along a similar line of like other other practices uh, is a humidifier. This can help to keep the nasal passages moist. Definitely helps with dry skin during the months. It's kind of a lifesaver for me for dry skin, but they are really hard to keep clean and high humidity can provide a good environment for viruses and bacteria to breed. It also promotes the growth of mold. So my take on it is if it provides you relief, use it, but make sure you're really thorough about oh, cleaning so it often. they're so hard to clean. Um, I they are. They're a pain. A year or so ago, because I get such dry, itchy skin every single winter, but it just—I couldn't get it cleaned well enough. There were so—I don't know why they're designed to have so many like nooks and crannies that make it so difficult to clean it. So I—I I don't know. I totally agree. Every time I like it brings out my inner rage yeah. because I'm like, why? There has to be. There has to be a better, yep. a better system. So if system. anybody actually has like an easy to clean humidifier, hit us up because we, we want that. Please, please do. All right. Next up, we've got herbs and supplements. Um, these can, the ones I'm going to mention can help to support your immune system and therefore prevent the common cold or flu. But please remember, if your diet is junk, if your sleep is non-existent, and if you're a stress case, then no amount of echinacea is going to save you. This is not like, you know, this is something to do in addition to all the other stuff we just talked about. The first I'll mention is cod liver oil. It contains fat-soluble vitamins A, vitamin D in this synergistic blend that can help to modulate is the that immune a system. Pill? A- you, I think you can get them capsulated or it comes in like liquid. It's way cheaper. Cod liver oil isn't, isn't terribly um, cheap. So I think it's more affordable when you get it like as a straight oil and you just take it by the, the teaspoon. Um, Carlson's is a brand that you can find pretty readily at health food stores. And then Rosita is another really good brand. Um, that's That's sort of my preference and you have to order that directly through their website so um i would i would check that out and that's good for kiddos as well as adults um next up is elderberry syrup this elderberries are an antioxidant packed berry that contain vitamin c vitamin a and a lot of minerals so in order to support the immune system you can take elderberry syrup regularly throughout the fall and the winter months um There's a few brands that I really like, but for cost purposes, 
I make my own because elderberry syrup can be pretty expensive if you're taking it every day. So go to my website, erinholthealth.com, um, and you can see see how I make my own for for much much cheaper. And there's both recipes for instant pot and stovetop. Um, up next is echinacea extract. I'm sure we've all heard of echinacea. It's been shown to support the immune system, prevent the frequency of upper respiratory infections and bronchitis. So clearly I wasn't taking my echinacea. And and also prevent secondary infections um, like walking pneumonia. <laughs> um, yeah, so echinacea. And I, I do give this one to Hattie. So, you know, not surprisingly, like I take care of my daughter better than I take care of myself. And she hasn't had, she's been fine. She's been fine. I've been on my deathbed and she has been totally fine. And then the last one I'll mention here is astragalus. This one's probably my favorite. Last, um, about a year ago, well, last September, I got bit by a tick. So I went to my naturopath to see if she had any ideas and she put me on astragalus. Um, because it's a way to prevent Lyme if you get bit by a tick. And I just, I, I felt so good on it that I just stayed on it through the fall and the winter. And I did not get a cold at all last year until the springtime. I came off the astragalus and because I'm like, well, it's spring, so I'm, I'm cool. I came off the astragalus and I got like a gnarly cold. I mean, it could totally just be coincidental, but um, I thought that was kind of interesting. So that's one to work into ro- rotation. You can take it long term in order to support the immune system and prevent illness. So you don't have to come off of it. That was probably a silly, silly thing for me to have done. Um, a brand that I like is Oregon's Wild Harvest. And then for kids, there's a brand called Herbs for Kids, and they make a, an astragalus tincture. I, I just got to stop you. While like, I'm talking- I have been, as usual, I call it astra- astragalus. okay (laughs) well I have to I have to say that I worked in the health food store for so long like hand in hand with herbs so I got to hear people (laughs) pronounce them so it wasn't like I'm just like reading this stuff how did you say it (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad we did this episode before you ever had to say that out loud to somebody (laughs) um that's good herb farm kids immune fortifier is a really good product so this is obviously for kids so herb farm is an awesome brand for herbal tinctures kids immune fortifier so go ahead and look that up it, <laughs> Say cont- it. it contains <laughs> astragalus elderberry echinacea and reishi mushroom and it's just a nice option to prepare and restore the immune system for your kiddos and in terms of dosing for all this stuff i would check out dr aviva ram she's an herbalist and an md and she has a lot of dosing recommendations uh, for all those things so yeah wow so those were a lot of great preventative tips but what do you what about like if you feel like something's already coming on that you know you're that prevention is kind of the window has passed what will all of those same tactics work once you have something they will so I would keep doing all of those things and I actually put like a call to action out on my Instagram stories a few weeks back to be like what are your tips when you're coming down with something and so a lot of people wrote in or wrote back with some of their tips so I want to share those here um sweating a lot of us Bikram yogis swear by getting into the hot room. Like when you first feel like you're coming down with something, if you go into 
if you go to a Bikram class, you can kind of just, I don't know if it's you're like sweating it out or moving it out or what, but um, that can be really helpful if you have access to uh, an infrared sauna or a regular sauna. Kyle and I have already talked about that in a previous episode. That might be a good idea. Um, I really like, and I've had very good luck with cold care. It's K-O-L-D-K-A-R-E. It's basically just andrographis. You have to be very, very diligent about taking it. Like you have to take a few, like several doses throughout the day, like three, four, maybe five times throughout the day. So you kind of have to have them on your person and remember them. And this works to kick something um, when it's first coming on. Similar to this is um, the mustard seed. It's a, a place close to me in Nottingham. And um, it's an herbalist that runs it. And there, she has immuni caps that have a huge blend of herbs like echinacea, golden seal, myrrh, bayberry, barberry. Um, and this is like very similar to how you would take andrographis. Like you have to like really hammer your system with it. But that seems to kind of kick it out of your system if you catch it in time. You also want to do that with a, a hefty dose of both zinc and vitamin C. Um, another option for somebody wrote in with is to dice up a clove of garlic, mix it with a little bit of water or um, orange juice, and then take it as a shot and do that every few hours until your your symptoms go away. I used to do this in the past. I get pretty bad heartburn from straight garlic, so I can't do that, but I've, I have that has worked really well for me. Fire cider is another option. This is like a tonic that's made with a lot of um, spicy things. Like what else? I don't know what's in fire no, cider. I've heard of it's it. It's like hot peppers. I've used it in the past and I've really liked it. Um, I don't know if I've ever had good luck kicking a cold with it, but it's like and usually in an apple cider vinegar base. Um, the sweetened kind has honey. I like it because it kind of helps to stimulate my digestion, but that's something to look into. The cold sock treatment, this is not something that I've tried, but people swear by it. You basically put on cold oh cotton God. socks. So you take cotton socks. I know it sounds awful. This is why I have, yeah. you would hate this, Kyle. You like submerge them in cold water, put on cold so- cotton socks, and then cover them with dry wool socks. And then you get into your bed and you go to sleep. And it's supposed wow. to like relieve it can relieve any congestion that you're having but it also stimulates the immune system to knock out whatever you're coming down with um again i haven't tried that one but people so aware by it and then if you do get sick make sure you rest like just give your body some downtime sometimes a day or two of rest can just help to kick something i really like to make bone broth and chicken soups if um, I'm super congested or Hattie's congested, I'll use either Doterra the Breathe or Young Living RC. Both of those blends, I'll we'll, I'll put them in a diffuser if we're stuffy, and that that like is like a, a godsend for Hattie. Um, I've used that a lot since she was a baby. Both of those blends. And what I also do is I'll take um, Beauty Counter Baby Balm, which is what I use in place of any type of Vaseline, and I'll t- put a little dollop of that in my hand and put um, either Doterra Breathe or Young Living RC and mix it up and then use that on our chest instead of like a Vicks Vapor Rub. And then finally, um, pretty basic and simple, but if you have sinus congestion, hot tea, sipping hot tea can help to break up some of that congestion. So those that's awesome. are, that's a lot. That's it. Those are, that's a lot. That's a lot. You know, hopefully that can help be helpful for somebody. That's my suggestions and suggestions that, uh, other people wrote in with and literally nothing from Kyle. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. I'm like, I just I haven't really been sick in a long time, so I'm just going to stay over here. 
just yeah. heavy breathe in the back corner. Um, all right. Well, do you have anything to add? Or I think we I can think call we can that call an episode. It. All right, you guys. Thanks for listening in. And we will catch you next week. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you got something from today's show, don't forget, subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.